Hey, what's up, guys? You're now listening to Devo with Uncle Theo. Today is day 16, and we're only going to be covering one chapter today because this is a very special chapter. It's dedicated to the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Yom, which is the Hebrew word for day, and Kippur for atonement. And I've heard it put to me that the way you remember this is the phrase, the sweet 16. So always remember in Leviticus, one of your most important chapters is the sweet 16, which is the day of atonement. It's basically the grand reset button. It restarts Israel's sacrificial year over. So basically think about a computer, a PC. This is when you reboot your PC. A lot of times we try to solve problems on our computer. Back in the day, it used to be control, alt, delete. If we try to delete stuff off of the task manager. And then when everything else failed, you restarted your computer, you rebooted it. And so that's what the day of atonement is. It's the grand reset. So the tabernacle would be defiled. Something could happen. And this would cover all of the sins of Israel as well. So this would be your catch-all. Even when we talked about there remain no sacrifice for intentional sins, your day of atonement would be your catch-all for everything, which is why we need to talk about all of the sacrifices here. We've learned in Leviticus 1 through 5, our five sacrifices, which is the whole burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering. So let's keep repeating those because the more we get those down, we'll be able to match them together when they come up because they're going to come up today. So let's look at verse two. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he shall not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, or he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. Aaron shall enter the holy place with this, with the bull for the sin offering. Remember the corporate solidarity. We need a bull for the sin offering. And we need a ram for the burnt offering. He should put the holy tunics on and his garments, his turban, his sash, and he shall bathe his body with water and put them on. And look at what he does for the congregation. He shall take from the congregation of the sons of Israel, two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. And then Aaron shall put the bull for the sin offering, which is for himself and make atonement for himself. Remember, the priest represents the people. The bull will go to them. But now in verse 7, it talks about two goats. And it says, And present them before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting, and Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, and one lot for the Lord, and the other lot for the scapegoat. So one of these lots are going to make one of the goats a sin offering, but the other lot is going to make one of the other goats the scapegoat. Look at verse 10. But the goat which the lot of the scapegoat fell shall be presented alive before the people to make atonement upon it and send it into the wilderness as the scapegoat. So one of the goats is to be sacrificed as a sin offering. In verse 15, we see that. But let's read verse 16. He shall make atonement for the holy place because of the impurities of the sons of Israel and because of their transgressions in regard to all their sins. You see that there? It's a catch-all here. And thus he shall do for the tent of meeting, which abides with them 
in the midst of their impurities. And look at the other goat, verse 20. And when he finishes atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall offer the live goat. Then Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the sons of Israel and their transgressions in regard to all their sins. And he shall lay them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of the man who stands in readiness. And so we brought this up before, but this is the point where this all goes down, the day of atonement. One of the goats where the light falls is to be sacrificed as a sin offering, and the other is a scapegoat. So we start to get language around the scapegoat, and it's called an Azael. And I don't know if you heard that terminology before. We use this terminology even today, where if somebody is being around the bush or you're not taking responsibility or they're blame shifting, we, we say that's his scapegoat. He's blaming it on something else. We, he needed an out. And that comes, that flows from this because the priest will place his hands on the goat and confess the sins of Israel. And he would send that goat out into the wilderness. Why into the wilderness? That's to communicate to Israel. Look, your God, the gracious God from Exodus that should have killed you, he is passive. He has loving kindness. He will not kill you. He will forgive you, but he will by no means clear the guilty. And the only way that the sins of the guilty can be cleared is there must be a sacrifice and there must be a scapegoat. And if there is a sacrifice and if there is a scapegoat, those sins can go far into the wilderness so far where you'll never see them again and they will not be brought up again. Dustin and I have joked before that there are some readings that talk about sometimes these goats have a mind of their own and you send them out into the wilderness and they come wandering back into the camp. And people are like, what in the world? Like our sins are back. And I could only imagine what the people are thinking. Like this symbolism did not work. Oh my goodness. It's, it's said that sometimes they would perform these or rituals by a cliff and just toss the goat off the cliff so he would never come back into the camp. And so I thought that was hilarious. But you see what's happening here, and you have even some demonic and satanic occult groups who worship the goat, who worship this Isaiah. And why would that make sense? They're worshiping the exact opposite of what God tells Israel to worship. He tells them to put your sins on this goat and send it off. What would a satanic group say? Oh, no, we love sin. Hey, go get that goat and bring it back. And let's let it be our mascot. Let's worship it. And you see how twisted and demonic that he is. But this is what's happening here. So if you see in verse 24, it says that there's a burnt offering. And look at verse 25. Here it is again. And he shall offer up in smoke the what? The fat of the sin offering on the altar. Remember Leviticus 3.16. The fat belongs to the Lord. And we have to grab this because God makes this an annual and permanent statue for Israel. It says in verse 29 that this shall be a permanent statue for you. Verse 34. Now you shall have this as a permanent statue to make atonement for the sons of Israel for all their sins once every year, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. So he did. So what's the beauty here? 
This symbolism we know is to teach. How did it point to Christ? Think about the triumphal entry. On the day you would choose your Paschal lamb, on the day you would choose your sacrifice, Christ comes marching into the city saying, I'm that lamb. And they're worshiping him and they're throwing palm branches down saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, he's worthy to be worshiped. But Israel rejects him and they slaughter him. And it's beautiful because Jesus institutes communion around the time Jesus is betrayed by Judas and Passover is being observed. Christ is being healed right around the time that the sacrificial lamb is supposed to be killed. And not only that, he institutes communion right in the middle of that to show that no longer will you have to celebrate Passover. Now you do this in remembrance of me. I'm your new high priest. I'm your new lamb that was slain for the forgiveness of your sins. I'm your scapegoat. I'm your bull. I'm your ram. I'm your sin offering. I'm your whole burnt offering. I'm your peace offering. I'm your grain offering. I have fully given myself to you to save you to the uttermost. So quite naturally, in return, we should give our whole lives to Christ, which is our sacrifice, our spiritual worship. In fact, Paul picks up on this language in 1 Corinthians 5. He says, verse 7, For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Paul not only connects our Lord and Savior to the Passover, he brings in the feast of unleavened bread, which is so beautiful. And it should bring the New Testament to life more now, now that you've learned your Old Testament well. Thank you guys for sitting in on the Sweet 16 with me. Catch me next time on Tuesday as we cover day 37, chapters 17 through 18. You guys take care. Yeah. Peace.